All right, let's do it. I gotta say, I think we are gonna have one of the best episodes of the podcast right here. And I guess I never go into one thinking, oh yeah, this is gonna fucking suck, but I really think this one's gonna be good. There's been a little bit of changes. Some pots have gotten stirred in the last week. You might notice I'm in a new surroundings, just moved into a new apartment. Got my own space. Energy's feeling good. And yeah, dude, let's let's just get into it. Yo, 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 welcome to Living for a Living, episode 98. Living for a Living, baby, how you doing? <laughs> As always. This episode is brought to you by myself. I'm rocking a new, got a little new merch coming in and out. Got that Irish green logo hoodie. And I will say this one is slightly less good quality than the other hoodies that are on the site in black. They don't have it in green though. And so it's a little cheaper price. Go check that out at www.livingforaliving.live. And I kind of wanted to start this episode, I was looking at the website mm, this week, earlier today, and I was just kind of looking at the about me section, which is kind of a weird thing to always, to like write an about me thing. And just, I wanted to read out loud, because I think there's going to be some new people that continually watch this, and so maybe start a little episode Every episode with a little bit of just like about me kind of things gets you to know me a little bit more. Gets the newcomers to to be like, well, this dude's fucking stupid or I kind of like this guy. Um, And then maybe if you know me, you'll learn something new about me. So I just kind of wanted to read the how it all started section on the website because it really tripped me out like, damn, dude. I wrote this maybe six, seven, eight months ago, and it was a reflection on the last four, five, six, seven years. It's like, damn, I've I've came a long way with this shit. Even though at times, even with the podcast going on two years ish, we're almost at that hundred episode. The the brand, the vlog stuff, all these things, like it always just feels like I've just barely started, and I just have haven't even scratched the surface yet, but then zoom out big picture and think where I was at in 2014, 2015. It's like, holy smokes, dude, I've came a long way. So yeah, I just uh, reading the, how it all started, how living for a living came to be. And, uh, yeah, here it is. So how it all started, uh, kind of makes me laugh too. Cause I kind of just put it like businessy spin, uh, even though I try not to be too businessy, but all right, I'll shut up and read. In today's day and age where people's identities have become intertwined with how they earn money, often in ways that don't give them happiness, I decided to branch off from that idea and follow what my heart truly wanted, despite its lack of immediate financial gain. After graduating college, I had a bit of a mental breakdown, a bit of a mental breakdown or as others might call it, a quarter-life crisis. Knowing I needed to get out of the rat race, I decided to accept an offer to play American football in Lisbon, Portugal, for no salary. While it seemed insane from the outside looking in, I view it now as the best decision of my life. Since then, I've played and lived in Poland, Spain, Czech Republic, and Finland. I guess I should also add that I've met people and 
friends where I've traveled now to Nepal and all over the fucking continent of Europe. Every time I was back home during the off-season, I'd run into the age-old question, so what do you do for a living? I grew to dislike this question as it normally came from a condescending acquaintance that was only asking so they could inform you what they did to make a hundred grand a year. After having enough one night of the question and a drink, I responded, man, I'm living for a living. What do you do? It was met with a look of envious awe or disbelief, I'm not sure. But that look alone told me that there was something powerful to the concept of living for a living. That was in 2016. It took me over four years to gain the courage and wherewithal to officially start the brand. And to be honest, I'm not sure what will come of it. From the brand, to the podcast, to the vlogs, to an eventual book that I'd like to write, and all the other content in between, I'm just doing things that make me happy, even if it doesn't put me on the track to be a millionaire. So that's, I guess, my little uh, public service announcement, PSA, to start the the pod this week and it's just it's like i said it's it's wild to see like oh shit i'm wearing a sweatshirt with the logo that i've dreamed of kind of throughout the years talking on a podcast that i've been thinking about doing for hella long on youtube you know like it just trips me out so i don't know i wanted to i don't think i've been too appreciative of myself um recently so I, I i'm just i just wanted to appreciate myself to kind of start this one and and appreciate all y'all because while it is kind of doing it for myself it's like those little messages and comments and all those like little things the support in general obviously feels really good so i appreciate you and that gets us into the next little segment that uh, again I don't really know how we're going to do this or if this is going to get changed throughout the episodes, but shout out to my boy Clayton for thinking of the idea of the listener power rankings. And I think it'll, it gives me a chance to like give appreciation to individually to people that follow along because for the most part, I think a majority of this audience that I have is people that know me personally and we've crossed paths, whether it be for a weekend or we've known each other since we were seven years old. So I have little stories and ideas about these people. And so then it also, I don't know, it's, it's fun for me too, then to tell like weird random stories. So we'll get into the the power rankings. I have 10 people written down right now, 10 slots. Maybe we'll ha- at some point we'll have to narrow it down to 5, but uh I don't know. We'll we'll see. And and I'm judging just this this these rankings are extremely official, very well calculated. You could uh, t- uh, compare it to the BCS rankings of college football. Computers are at work in order to discover and and uh, rank you guys in the right order. <laughs> but no, I kind of just looked back at all of the YouTube comments I've gotten over the years, thinking about personal messages I've gotten, people that have bought and support supported that way. Um, and then like if people post shit on their story, 
And so like, I guess I'm going to ask a favor real quick is if you do listen to this, could you at some point, whether it is once a week, once a month, once ever, like post a little thing of you either list a screenshot of you listening on Spotify or a, a little picture of you listening on YouTube, tag me in it, then I can repost it. And then because I always I've been saying lately, like, I would just appreciate if you just told one friend about me. Because I think growing through grassroots movement and having a, a true like someone going to bat for you personally is much better than like a story post. But I know maybe maybe you can't do that. Maybe you don't know anyone that's weird enough that wants to listen or that you talk to on a regular basis. So that story post thing could be big for me. I'm just thinking psychologically. People tend to gravitate and then do what other people are doing. And so I can, one, maybe get someone new from your circle. And then two, I repost it and people that follow me see it and see all these people listening to me. This is incredibly narcissistic, I realized. But then they'll think, oh, well, shit that person listens and that person listens and that person listens. So I should listen too. because it's, you know, maybe we can trick people into joining the movement. You know what I'm saying? Because I mean, there's like a, you know, a psychological study where people will just do what everyone else does, even if they don't understand why. And we're kind of going through that right now, but there was some like experiment. I don't know how long ago, I don't even know if this is true. It's in my mind for some reason. Pretty sure it's true. Where they had someone enter a waiting room and everyone in the waiting room, let's say there's 10 people in the waiting room, all the other nine were all actors. And so this new, the 10th person comes in unknowingly to what's going on. They're the test subject. And in the waiting room, then at some point a bell would go off or a buzzer or something and everyone in the waiting room would stand up and then sit back down. And the f- new person at first was like, what the fuck is going on? But no one said anything, no one, you know. But after time, the new person just started doing it because everybody else was doing it. And so slowly but surely, they brought in, they would... You know, it's like, let's say they're waiting for the doctor. They would bring in someone and then replace it with a new test subject that didn't know. So, you know, they replaced the first actor with a new. So now it's eight actors and two non-actors. Seven and three, six and four, so on, so on. By the time it got to all 10 people being test subjects, all 10 of them were standing up when the bell rang even though none of them had any clue why. So let's use that to grow the pot. <laughs> Alrighty. That's, it's either, and this power ranking things is either going to be a absolutely brilliant idea that will uh, make people laugh and entertain people or a horrible idea that'll piss people off. Um, but I guess in that way, both options are good because as I've said, being polar is the kind of key to 
success in this social media podcast digital world. So if you hate, I mean, because at the end of the day, if you're going to hate someone, hating someone, you're, you feel an emotion towards that person. You know, the, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And so the worst thing that someone could feel towards someone that's trying to get people to listen to them is just being like, eh, I don't really care. I don't care, you know. And so if I piss you off, huh? oh well. <laughs> but let's, starting with the power rankings, at the number one slot, and this is by default because imagine, you know, Alabama always starts the year as number one in college football rankings. No matter if they're the best team or not, they're just always going to be number one for the most part. And so I didn't want to, even though I said I want to piss people off, I didn't want to piss anybody off too bad to start the first week. So none of y'all can be mad at this one. So we'll go with the number one power ranking fan as my mom and dad. I'm going to pair them together. Gonna keep it real. They ain't gonna stay there for long. Maybe my I don't know. Like I said, my mom says she's listening. We'll find out if she really is, because I'm gonna talk some shit right now. I know my dad is listening, but the they're uh they're on their way out of the power rankings. I just didn't wanna I just had to start they're the Alabama of the Living for a Living power rankings. Number two slot, we do have a little bit of an upset, and I just have to give credit where credit is due to my dude, Clayton, who I know from working out back home with Tim Manson, and just a little background on Clayton, he, well, one of the like smartest and most intelligent dudes I feel like I've talked to, and so I have to admit, knowing that you're such a big fan of this, and this can be said for pretty much everyone. I'm not just sucking everybody's dick right now. But it's always cool to me when people that I find to be very intelligent and inspiring in one way or another listen to me and are a fan of the podcast because it makes me feel like I'm doing something right. And so Clayton, let me just put it into perspective. I don't even know what Clayton's doing for work right now. And that's probably a good thing. He's like secret undercover mission last time we talked. And so I'm keep that thing under wraps, my guy. But Clayton, we met at uh, Tim Manson training, which if you don't know who Tim Manson is, he's like one of the most well-renowned trainers in the U.S. that I just like happened to look into working with my senior year. And I'll still work with when I'm back home. He's trained countless of NBA, NFL, all professional sports guys. And so most of the time the groups were like all college or pro athletes of some degree. And Clayton was always in there, yet wasn't a pro athlete in that way. I know you can hoop really well, Clayton, and kill the men's leagues. But it just, I didn't think about this until recently that like, damn, because these workouts are no fucking joke. Like you are dead at the end of the hour and a half every every time. And I'm like, damn, Clayton was just working out like that for fun. You know, it was fun for me, but I had like this ulterior motive to it of playing college or playing pro, whatever it may be. I was like, I don't know if I'd be doing that if I wasn't playing 
at the level I was playing. Like that seems almost like torture. So Clayton's at the number two slot and also because he is the originator and inspiration behind the power ranking. So you got to give credit where credit is due. Number three on the list is arguably also one of the the guys who's been with me for day one on the pod, and that's my boy Henny out in Poland. He was a receiver for me when I played in Gdynia for two years. Probably, honestly, one of the favorite uh, teammates I've had and coached in my time in Europe over the last six or seven years. Um, Again, same thing could be said with him with like the... I always... Henny was able to learn the playbook super fast and understood things and took coaching extremely, extremely well. He like made me feel like I was a good coach at time at most times, which with other guys, Mazan, I didn't always feel like a great coach. Um, and Henny, I do have to say, I was hating on you last week for the recommendation of the Rain show on Netflix. I literally just finished the season the season three finale before I started this. So that was a great series. The first episode is fucking terrible. But after the first episode, basically as soon as Rasmus grows up, the series gets really good. So I will recommend that to everybody else. I'm big I got a big kick going of like end of the world movies. I think maybe I'm just like prepping myself for what I kind of think is to come. Next one I'm going to go on uh, Netflix-wise is, I think it's called To the Lake or something. It's a Russian show, basically a Russian take on the end of the world. And I was doing Duolingo, Russian Duolingo, for a couple months last year. So I'd like to get back into that. And so if I could have a series to watch, maybe it would help also. So that's Henny at number three. Number four slot, we're going to go... Uh, this number four slot and number five slot and number six slot. I've got a unique thing that's really cool to me is I have father and son duos that'll listen to the pod that I've known two of them for a long time, one of them more short time. And we're going number four, Elliot Rocco and Paul Williams, who if you listen to last week's episode, I'm not going to give too much of a a story for you guys because last week's episode or two weeks ago was kind of the first 15 minutes was all about your guys' stories. But they've always been in in my corner and continue to be, and I appreciate that. At number five, we're going Michael Dixon and Greg Dixon, who Elliot is probably like my oldest friend. I think we started hanging out when we were like seven or eight. Dixon is probably like my best friend that I've hung out with most throughout my entire life. I think that's fair to say. And Greg, his dad would tell you, which is a hundred percent true statement that Michael and I are the best double play combination in the history of baseball. I mean, I played shortstop. He played second base growing up and we turned some fucking sick double plays and then we played in a men's league game together I just when I was back home one one off season he was playing men's league and he was like bro come out we need a guy so on that team he was the shortstop so I just had to be I was the second baseman and like first inning I think we turned a double play that was sick 
So we still got it. And it, it kind of sucked. We never really got to play together in high school because of old Rob Reese. Um, at one point, like my junior year of high school, I was kind of, me and Dixon were kind of competing for the, the third infield spot because they gave shortstop to, was it Mario or Galatly? Shortstop and third were Mario and Galatly because Galatly was the golden child. Mario's dad was the coach. Also, I think they hit better than both me and Dixon did. But defensively, they were both worse. But anyway, so Dixon and I were kind of always competing for that that slot. And at this point in life, we really weren't that good of friends. We'd known each other and we were like homies, but we weren't like the homies that we are today. And Dixon at one point in the year got the yips, which if you don't know what that is, it means you like can't throw the ball to first base. And so from second base, he like would just fucking short arm it, throw it in the dirt, throw it over the guy's head. It's, it's like this mental thing that a few guys, Chuck Knobloch and the MLB have had it happen to them. And so anyway, he, he gets the yips in the middle of this one game. And like he kind of had it leading up to that. And <laughs> we're, we're in the dugout, me and this dude named Adam Lass, who also he was like, he was the guy behind me who was for sure not going to compete for the thing, but really felt he should be playing second base. Um, and so me and him kind of like misery love company were both pissed off that we weren't playing. So we're in the dugout together and Dixon had thrown one away earlier in the game, or maybe hadn't even thrown one away all game. He just hadn't gotten the ball hit to him all game. It comes down to the last inning, like two outs. It's a one run game. They, yeah, he gets the ball hit to him. Routine ground ball, second base, and me and Lass are in the dugout like, oh, fuck, is he going to do it? Like, mind you, during warm-ups, you know, when first base just throws little ground balls to the infield, he missed every fucking throw, all seven innings. So we're like, oh, my God. Both of us, like, just, just out of pure entertainment value, excited to see what would happen. Sure enough, he gets it and fucking air mails it. And so now there's a runner on first. I think they got another hit. So And we're playing a team we should have smacked. So now they have first and second, two outs, tying run on second. And they hit it again to Dixon up the middle. But luckily this time, all he had to do was underhand flip it to second base to get the out to end the game. So after that game, Rob Reese was motherfucking all of us, which he was really, really good at doing uh, and trying to make 17-year-old kids feel like absolute garbage for only winning a game by one run and saying how we were so shitty and blah, blah, blah. And He had it out for me for some reason that year. I can't exactly tell you why. Oh, it was because the year before I didn't want to be on the team for playoffs and they ended up winning state and I said I just would rather focus on football because I wasn't ever going to play and so he, he didn't like me for that and so I'm sure I was also a, a sh dick at times just matching his energy though and he said something along the lines of like 
we got people in the dugout hoping Dixon fucks up and looked right at me and Lass. And, like, that wasn't the case at all. Like I said, it was entertaining to us that Dixon was fucking up, but I was not hoping that he would fuck up at all. Even though I want to play, I want to win, and I want the team to do well more than I want personal success. That's always how I've been. So we got back to the locker room after the bus ride, and I went up to Dixon, and we weren't that close at this point. And I was like, hey, bro, just so you know, like, I'm not hoping you fuck up. He's like, dude, I know. He's like, honestly, you should be playing over me anyway. I don't know why I'm even playing right now. I don't deserve it. And I think that was kind of the start of our friendship, to be honest. Also, I just had to add this in because I forgot to add the most important part to that story. That's why there's no video to go with this audio. If you're on Spotify, you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. We'll continue on. And so I have a couple more stories regarding both Greg and Dixon, but I know neither of them want to be named in them. Yeah, I'll tell I'll tell those stories, bro. And uh, so I'm, I'll that's gonna be like in another hundred episodes or or like in a in a um like a guest episode where I can say just my friend or something. So I guess I'm kind of giving you away now, but it'll be in a while. So your your name will be out of out of the out of the, out of mind, out of sight. Shit, that was a long one. All right, number six of power rankings, we got Marcel and Martin, who, Martin, I got a shout out to this dude because in terms of living for a living, he's from Czech Republic, both him and his dad are. I coached Martin. He, uh, when I was there playing in Czech Republic, quarterback, probably one of the most dedicated kids from small, little town, middle of nowhere, Czech Republic, And he just moved to New York and is going to be starting high school there in New York City. I think he's in Staten Island, I believe. Uh, One of the islands. And I got to give a shout out there because that is like the ultimate example of not giving a fuck about what anyone else thinks, what anyone else says, and following your dream and doing you. Because there's probably not another soul in Czech Republic, well, maybe one or two. And also, props to you too, Marcel, for making it happen, really. As a supportive dad, it's inspiring. But there's not, I know for a fact, because I've talked to Marcel about this, there's no one in his family that, like, thinks he should go do that. Like, none of them get it. No one understands American football in Europe for the most part anyway. For sure, no one understands like going to a new country alone to play the sport that no one fucking understands. And so I, I got to say that hearing that I didn't know if it was going to happen because getting the money and getting the right situation, exchange programs, or it's, it's not easy getting the visa, especially during all the bullshit going on now. But that's truly, truly an inspiration to you or to me, I mean, Martin. So props to you, bro. I'm, I'm happy that I got to be a small piece of this path that you're on and understand it's just fucking getting started. Call me if you ever need anything. I've already told you this, but uh, I, I want to see you succeed. So I'm excited to hear about that. 
and know that at times it's probably going to fucking suck. But that'll be good because it'll test, it'll test your dream in it. It'll test your belief in your dream. You know, I think at times, uh, I just came up with this saying, what was it? I just tweeted it, that failure is just another step towards achievement. And man, that is a quote. I got to pat myself on the back for this one. I guess this is just a super pat myself on the back fucking episode. Yeah, it really is. So yeah, props to y'all. Going into number seven is... I'm going to probably pronounce your name wrong. Uh, I'll just say your first. I'll just keep all these first names. Adam. Cheshire. Cheshire. Nah, I won't keep them first name. Cheshire. Cheshire. I don't know. I forget which it, which it is. But I met Adam. He's an American guy. I met him in Serbia when I was just traveling maybe three, four, five years ago. He's been a travel writer. He's lived all over the world. Uh, last time I talked to him, he was living in Indonesia, I think. Um, but I met Adam at the shittiest hostel you'd ever seen in your entire life. It was called like the green hostel and it was like hippie to the fucking max, which too hippie for me, which coming from a guy that just lived three months in a van is kind of saying a lot. And (laughs) Adam reminded me of this story on one of my YouTube comments from like three months ago where literally I, f- I get to the hostel, I put my, b- I go upstairs to like put my stuff into the locker and there's a guy in my room with no shoes and no shirt. And he goes, Hey man, um, could I borrow a shirt? And I like, I'm just, you know, like, you know, sometimes you get caught off guard by questions like that where I'm thinking, uh, maybe he's doing laundry. You know, like I played it in my head, like all these reasons why he needed a shirt and like thinking, well, yeah, he'll give me this shirt back. So yeah, here you go, bro. And give him a shirt. Long story short, we end up leaving the hostel after like one night. Adam and I just randomly met because he had a bed next to mine. And I was like, bro, this hostel fucking sucks. The shower like doesn't work. It's right on a busy street. We can't sleep. Like, let's get an Airbnb. And so me, him, and his friend Lily got an Airbnb for like two or three nights after that and had a fun little weekend together. But on our last night all together, we were out in the city and we see this super duper drunk guy like talking to people and then talking to police and all this stuff. And Adam was like, dude, that's a guy that took your shirt. And he was still wearing my shirt. And so we like spied on this guy who was fucked up wearing my shirt. Eventually like get the police called on him. He didn't get arrested, but he had to leave. And I think it's obvious to say I never got that shirt back. (laughs) Side note too, Adam had just gotten banned from living in the EU. He was living in Malta at the time. And so when he left the Schengen zone, he had overstayed his visa by like two days or three days. And so at the border of Malta, which I guess is, they're very strict there, not like Portugal. They like gave him a ticket or he got kind of put into custody or whatever. And then said like, 
given a thing that says like you can't come back to the EU for two years. So Adam was at a time in his life where like he was planning on returning to Malta after Serbia. So he was at like a weird point in his life of like, what the fuck am I going to do? Two years is kind of a long time when I just planned on not having to do this. And so it was interesting. But um, yeah, so Adam, Adam's been uh, an inspiration throughout these things, both from like always has a good comment to share on YouTube and then also just doing his own living for a living, traveling around in different places. And we, we share a lot of ideas on that, that kind of thing. So that's, that's our number seven slot. Number eight, we got my guy, Bobby Velios, Velios, man, I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I didn't prep these with last names. I'm doing this all off memory. So if I fuck Valios, I know it's with a V Bobby V (laughs) sorry, bro. And Bobby and I have never met in real life, but we share the connection of the Lisbon Devils, which as I alluded to start this episode, Lisbon was kind of one of the best decisions of my life. Bobby ended up playing there two or three years after I did for a year or two, I'm not sure. Um, And now he's been playing in Romania. And again, just a dude, I don't have a real good story for Bobby. Because again, like I said, we don't know each other personally. I hope you got that shirt, by the way. He bought a shirt like a year ago or six months ago. And it said it was delivered, but he didn't have it. So I I hope you got that, man. But it was just, it was cool, like with all these connections of everybody I've said is there's been someone from Czech Republic, someone from Poland, a connection with Portugal, even though Bobby's American. I know Ugo from Portugal, you listen quite a bit. I didn't include you, though. Better luck next ranking. Um, You know, like childhood friends, friends that I know from Issaquah, but are back home, but through like a training group. Um, You know, it just, it's cool to me that there's kind of all these different little connections that have been made. And so Bobby kind of reminds me of the the Portuguese connection. Um, The only the only person I don't really have a like or a, a place I've lived that I don't have a connection in terms of who listens to the podcast really is like North Dakota. But stay tuned because that probably will change. <laughs> uh, at number nine, got my boy Will Ferris, who I can thank podcasting for our friendship because without podcasting, we probably wouldn't have become friends. I mean, who knows? But Will and I both started our podcast at the same time. He's been taking a break from his, kind of figuring out how he wants to do it and those kind of things. But in the early days, we bounced ideas a lot a lot off of each other. And um, Will's actually the only guy who's been on the podcast two episodes. And while they probably analytically have some of the worst views, those two are probably some of my favorites. The first one especially. Because the first one was super cool. We were like both like just right in the shit, right in the beginning. And and the Will's like ability to be vulnerable and keep it real and be introspective and want to learn about himself is is something that um I admire and I try and like take a piece of 
because I, I, I view I have those qualities as well, but he's like a guy that I'll look up to in that regard. And so, and again, always coming in with like, he always comments on YouTube something that I said, like a, something quotes me. And it's something like so little that I didn't even think was funny. But then after he quotes it, I'm like, oh, that was kind of good. And I was like, if that got Will to the comment, like that was a good one then. And then rounding up the power rankings. I don't know how long we've been doing this. If we got to shorten it. Uh, we're going to do the Cinderella story. The person who is probably one of the newest listeners. And that's my guy, Umer, who... I don't know where you're from, bro. I forget. I was looking up that. I meant to look that up before I started. He lives in Finland now. Um, and there's that Finnish connection, even though there's a few other Finnish connections. Um, but Umera is like the newcomer to the group. He kind of gave me the idea for the story posts because he's been posting me on his story when he listens. And so that's just... Again, I don't have a story because I don't really know you. But maybe one day I'll get to know you. Um, and so that rounds out the top 10. And just, it might sound stupid or, or like, uh, I don't know, like, I maybe maybe it is stupid. But I hope that people that listen to would like to get on the list. I might narrow it down to five in the future just because 10 is kind of a long ways to go. Or it'll just come up on screen. I don't know. Because there were a couple like honorable mentions that didn't that were close. Because I had when I I literally sat here and wrote down all the people that have commented, messaged me, like that I know personally are listening and watching probably almost every episode. And there was a group of like thirty or forty. I think it was like thirty-seven. And that might sound like small and irrelevant to some. But to me, that's pretty fucking awesome. And I'm super appreciative because even though in the big picture, like, yeah, it's only 30 people that listen to this fucking podcast all the time. It's like, damn, that's 30 people that listen to this fucking podcast all the time that are giving me an hour or lately an hour and a half out of their week and really kind of checking in on me and hanging out. And so like... That that is super cool to me, man. So appreciate y'all. Appreciate you guys. I don't know if I said honorable mention here in Finland, Atu and Janne, and then my boy Zach. So you know, hey, if you want to get on the list, like I started this, uh, buy some merch. That would probably help me out the most. No, actually, I'm jo- kind of joking, not joking. That would ha- that's one way other way do like a story post you know i know the the personal messages honestly probably mean the most to me and a lot of you guys send personal messages which i do really appreciate and like those lift my spirits but in terms of growth of this thing they're probably they do the the least you know to be honest and so the story thing and just tell a friend you know tell tell a friend if you like it, if not, then uh, let's pretend this didn't happen. All right. So moving on, let me take a sip of coffee here. Ah. 
I just went pretty rapid fire for like 35 minutes. But like I alluded in the power rankings, the only place I don't really have a connection that listens to the podcast is from my time in North Dakota, maybe in Connecticut too. But I have a feeling somebody in Connecticut is sneak listening to me out there and I'm looking at you, Roberti. But from North Dakota, which my time there was short, mm, I don't think too many, maybe my, maybe my roommate Bickle. Um, and I've, I've talked about North Dakota throughout my time on this or throughout different episodes on this podcast and how like the, the forum website there just absolutely like had it out for me all because of my Twitter handle that I had at the time. Um, and so I think there, something happened over the last week that I found incredibly funny because I was talking with Ant about how, yeah, bro, when I was at North Dakota and even after I left, like those guys fucking on the forum website hated me and would constantly bring me up as like a benchmark of shitty play. And, you know, so if someone new came in or whatever, they had a bad team one year, they'd be like, man, we could have won more games with J Brad swag at the at the helm. And so I was telling Ann about it and I was like, he, he kind of like didn't really believe me in a way. And I was like, dude, I'm, they've talked about me years after I left. And I was like, let me show you. So I get on the forum website. I haven't probably been on it in four or five, like since I've been in Europe, I haven't probably looked at it. I get on, I search my name in the search bar and literally three months ago, Someone posted a thing like, hey, you remember Joey Bradley? He's still playing football overseas. And then once that guy posted that, just the barrage of haters. Oh, I bet the the league there is not as good as the California penal system or, you know, just, just whatever. That was one quote that stuck in my mind that I remembered. And so I'm reading through these things and just... At this point now, as a 31-year-old guy, it's just comical to me on one end of this thing because thinking of like, okay, these are all like grown men for the most part that are on this forum website talking shit about a 20-year-old and like letting this 20-year-old live in their minds for, this is literally a decade ago that I was there. And so... I was like, I'm going to say something just because it's too funny not to. And one thing too, before I say is like to the forum, the Sioux sports forum people out there, like I would just ask or advise that you kind of think about what you say on that shit. Like I know it's all like, it's when you're a, an anonymous person talking shit, like you can say whatever the fuck you want. I get that. Like I'm on TikTok. I get a lot of hate on there from anonymous accounts normally. I don't, I, it, it didn't really affect me too much. It obviously affected me a little bit, but I had coaches throughout my career and especially in high school that motherfucked me and told me I was a piece of shit and it was, everything was my fault and like, really degraded me on a personal level. So I was kind of like used to that. So what you guys did wasn't bad in my minds, 
But knowing how kids are nowadays and knowing how just some people are in general, like that shit could really fuck with people. And I'm not here to be some like victimhood, like anti-bullying person. But I would just like think, I would advise to think twice before you say some shit about someone personally. If you want to say they're a bad quarterback or a bad running back or whatever, that that's okay. That's your observation. But if you're going to attack someone personally without really knowing them, that's pretty fucked up. Especially if you're doing it from an anonymous account. Because the, the funny thing that I realized once I... I put a little post into the Sioux Sports thing with the name J. Brad Swag. As soon as I did that, a few of the guys who had really talked shit about me throughout the years, all of a sudden had nothing but nice things to say. And then as soon as I, one guy kind of doubled down, continued to talk shit, like I wasn't, like he didn't realize that it was me saying it. As soon as I confronted him and like I kind of went in on him because the dude said some retarded ass shit that didn't wasn't true and I like acknowledged everything. He turned nice, said, you know, be well, I wish you the best. And so it's like this weird thing that we have in this internet era where if you you know, it happens a lot like when people talk shit about pro athletes is they don't think of those people as human beings. And I don't have as much sympathy for pro athletes because they get paid millions of dollars while they're still very, very much humans. And like still some guys can be 22 year old kids, essentially. It still fucks with them. But there's kind of like a cost uh, to being fucked with ratio that like if you're making two to three million dollars or something, I think whether it's right or wrong, but you can get fucked with a little bit more. Whereas college kids, yeah, you're getting a full scholarship, which is pretty much irrelevant at this point. Although now the national letter of intent shit or NL, the whatever, where guys can get sponsored. There's that running back for uh, one of the HBCUs that has like 40 sponsors now. It's The game's changing. So maybe I'll have to change my opinion on this moving forward. But to to attack college kids is kind of fucked up, in my opinion. So I just say that, like, just think about what you're doing. Um, but at the same time, I will, with that being said, I'm very thankful for the shit talkers in those forums and thankful for pretty much anyone who hasn't believed in, in me throughout my career, which there's from a coaching level and like coaches that I've had from high school to everywhere in college, which I played for four different head coaches in my four years that I was eligible. So four different staffs also. I've probably had an equal amount of coaches that believed in me to coaches that didn't believe in me. And then compounding and just people in general that believed in me like it's the, you know, it's so cliche, but it, the haters that like kind of keep you going at times because you want to prove them wrong. And so I think, you know, to a degree that may be while I'm, why I'm still playing football at 31 years old in Finland is because a small part of me wants to prove to 
all these motherfuckers that didn't believe that like, yeah, I am good at this shit. I do deserve to play this. You know, I, I think it's a very small um, motivation for me, but I still think it does exist. Okay. Um, let's see. So I told the Sioux Sports Forum that I was going to give kind of like a tell-all of my North Dakota experience because it's 10 years later. I really don't give a fuck. It's still to a degree. I would say I'm over it for the most part, but obviously there's still probably something there. I, you know, I wish, I wish it would have worked out better. I wish I would have had a good career there. You know, to say I wish I didn't would be lying. You know, I, I always wanted to be a D1 quarterback. I was that. Um, but in the flip side, I'm thankful that it turned out the way it did because if I wouldn't have left and, like I said, being on the right path, everything happens for a reason. If I would have stuck around there, I probably would have ended up hating football and I probably wouldn't be playing now still. Maybe not have the podcast, you know. Who knows? Um, so uh, here's the, the North Dakota tell-all. And I think it has to start with the name. Like I said, J. Brad Swag. And that name was got under people's skin, but also made people remember so much that I wish I would have known how powerful it was at the time. Um. It was like, and for whatever reason, you know, I had just came from the Bay Area where I played Juco for two years, and everyone there called me J. Brad. I didn't hear someone say the name Joey for the two years that I lived there. And swag at the time was ex- becoming mainstream or like getting invented in the Bay Area in that 2009 to 2011 time frame that I was there. And I really, really felt like I was a part of the culture there. I mean, a lot. I was, you know, and then it was such a a culture shock and a switching of cultures going from the Bay to North Dakota. Because in JUCO, I was probably like one of 10 white dudes on the team. And in my little friend's circle, for the most part, the only white dude, maybe one other, Frankie would be there. And then my roommate was Asian. But for the rest, it was, like, all just black dudes. And so, like, this whole Bay Area swag shit, like, I was living that shit. That was, like, a part of me. And also, I liked wearing the visor, all that, you know, like, I had fucking, I thought I had swag. And swag was a big uh, thing to my personal identity at that time and place. Then you go to North Dakota, where we were probably the whitest division one football team in the history of football. I don't know this for a fact, but we had our top three running backs on the depth chart were white guys, which that shit doesn't happen at Harvard. So that just gives you an idea of the difference of culture. And I mean, we were mentally and uh, uh, psychologically, we were in the nineties, like from the AstroTurf that we played on in the Alaris center to the mindset of the coaches, to the way that we trained, to our workout equipment. There was nothing that remotely touched the word swag. 
I mean, our jerseys were so fucking loose fitting. Um, like swag was the last thing on people's minds in North Dakota. So for I understand why it got under people's skin so much because here's this, you know, kid from outside of the the good old boy region coming in and saying, "Hey, I got swag and this is what I do." And you know, like it obviously rubbed some people the wrong way because it was different. And a lot of times people fear what they're what's different and then dislike what's different because they don't understand it simply out of, you know, unintended ignorance. You know, it was like our workout gear that we got was like this fake Nike dry fit shit that like stretched out and was terrible, just like generic mesh shorts. And this like of all workout stuff that I ever got, DVC, I mean, UND's stuff was the worst from JUCO to D2 to wherever to here in Europe, our stuff is way more swaggy. And that's not what you think of. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go D1. Normally, at most D1s, at least you get good gear because the budget's like higher. But I've read through these forums in the last couple of days that at the time, they really didn't give a fuck about the transition to D1. And it makes sense. And I was a part of it. Let's see. Um, yeah, but so just last thing with the swag, it's like, so the fact that I wanted to wear a visor and sweatbands and little leg bands and all these things like really genuinely bugged people on the forum, but also on the coaching staff. You know, I literally, one of the assistant O-line coaches who was actually one of a really good dude, it felt like, and one of the few genuine old guys on the staff took me out to dinner one night. And was like, hey, man, you know, like just ultimate old school guy. I think he played for the Broncos or something at one point. Like really knew his shit. He's like, hey, man, you know, uh, it's just why, why do you care so much about wh- what you wear and this and that? Like you, you could play the same without it or whatever. And, you know, I was like, man, like I don't it's just what I like. It's how I feel. You know, the old Deion Sanders, you, you look good, you play good, or you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good. It was like, that's what made me feel good. And what I felt then made me play. I don't feel like I needed it to play good, but it helped. And it was like what I wanted. And I flipped it around him. I said, but what does it matter if I do wear it then? Like I could give the exact same argument that you're giving to me about it doesn't make a difference if you wear it or not. Is I could say, yeah, I agree. It doesn't make a difference whether I wear it or not. So why do you care if I wear it? I want to wear it. And so like that, we, we ended up like kind of agreeing to disagree or whatever. But I do, I reflect on that being very thankful that he took the time and effort to say those kinds of things and kind of take me under his wing and, and see if I could be helped uh, get rid of my swag. Um, and ironically, the older I get now, every year that I play, I kind of lose one piece of swag and you know, I don't wear a visor anymore. I don't wear wristbands anymore. I just wear long baggy sleeves to pretty much hide how skinny my arms are. And so I, the older that I get, the more I understand their positioning. And even at times, as I'm playing with guys that are 18, 20 years old out in Europe. And, you know, I was coaching back at New Haven for one year where, you know, we got young guys on the team. And I'd think to myself, God damn, these guys care 
more about how they look than practice and how they're playing and da 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 da. And then I had to catch myself like, whoa, Joey. Whoa, buddy. You're sounding a little North Dakotan right now. Like, it really doesn't fucking matter. If they want to do it, it's going to... I can remember. It helps them mentally. So let them do it. You know, if... I, I think I would say, you know, like when I was, when I've been QBOC, if like receivers wanted to wear visors in the rain, that's the only time I would make a, an old man decision and say, hey, you got to take the visor off. Normally people would do it without being said, but I've had to say that once. Okay. So getting into it though, of actually being in North Dakota at UND is I knew from day one, like, oh, this is, this, something's off here. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, like the week I arrived, they kicked our all-conference running back, Josh Murray, off the team for no legitimate reason besides Murray was one of the few guys that would speak up on the bullshit that a lot of the coaching staff would do, and Musman in particular. Musman was the head coach there. And that and like him being the running back was like a main recruiting tactic to get me to go there. I would have probably came no matter what, but that in like the recruiting thing was like, yeah, we got this guy, Josh Murray. He can he can catch the ball. I mean, dude was fucking good. He's still actually playing today. And he's a good, he's a homie. I, I really, I like Josh a lot. Yeah, and literally first week, they kick him off. He didn't fail drug tests. He didn't do anything besides, like, not agree to jump off the bridge when they told you to jump off the bridge. And so that was like a, like a, a big thing from right, right away. It was like, oh, so... It is, it's like that. Okay. Okay. And so then I'm thinking like, well, we just kicked off our best running back. Huh. All right. And then the next obvious thing of like a different story than what was promised was the recruiting coordinator for myself was uh, our receivers coach, Belmore. And during recruiting, this dude was the nicest motherfucker. So helpful. So kind so great like through clearinghouse stuff all these things like he I think did some paperwork for me like with clearinghouse you know to like make it easier I get to campus and this dude was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and literally like went from being like I said the three four weeks of recruiting that I knew him so nice so pleasant so sweet to just like I don't give a fuck about you and so cold. I was just like, oh, oh, okay. And like on, and I didn't think he was a, a great coach from the the X's and O's and like coaching technique and stuff. The, the theme of the general entire coaching staff, the core of the staff was they had been there during the transition from division two to division one. And so none of them actually got hired as division one coaches. It just kind of all was like carryover. And then I've learned through the forum websites that 
they didn't the UND didn't even have an athletic director at the time to interview people to be the head coach so they just kind of took what was there um which was Musman and so he he got to do that and like while obviously I'm not a huge Musman fan for multiple reasons that I'll get into I will say from the jump the dude was probably one of the best O-line coaches I've ever been around and if I was a head coach somewhere and needed to hire an on, uh, O-line coach, he'd be a guy that I'd want to hire. Um, so uh, to be fair, you know, I'm probably, I'm going to talk some shit about it, or I'm not even talk shit. I'm going to share some stories that's going to sound like I'm talking shit, but that's, that is the truth. But the last thing about Belmore is like, about Belmore, he was like the biggest fucking yeller in practice. And I mean, I know that's kind of some guy's style, but oh my God. And like, I, I personally don't mind getting yelled at and he never really yelled at me, but this dude's default volume was yelling and it was over the littlest shit ever. Like if we broke the huddle and Tyree went the wrong way, Tyree, it's fucking slot, right? I mean, just coming unglued. And so, like, someone has said, you know, Tyree didn't turn out to be anything at North Dakota, even though I'll say, like, Tyree was one of the best athletes and best receivers I've thrown with and thrown to. But that's just a, a product of the program and coaching not knowing how to deal with players. And so, oh, man, that, that shit was, was wild. Um, but l- like I said, I think it all... It all stemmed from insecurity, the yelling, and then also, as I mentioned, that all the coaches had carried over and not truly been hired as D1 coaches. And so there was this just like feeling of insecurity amongst most all of the coaching staff. And I get it because they didn't feel like D1 guys deep down because they really didn't get hired as that. And at the helm of the insecurity train was Musman. And I, you know, I mentioned on the last episode that I talked about North Dakota that he would, you'd walk by him in the halls and he wouldn't even acknowledge you like at all, which is just wild to me. And then, I mean, I can say uh, maybe this is a over exaggeration, but not many guys on that team those years that I was there, respected him more than just for the title that he was. And I can remember that summer going into it, or maybe it was maybe it was right as I arrived, I forget, but Mitch Gertz, which was one of our linebackers, and I lived with Gertz the first, year, uh, first semester that I was there. He's actually one of my friends that I've somewhat kept in contact with since then. He almost quit before the season because he had been promised like to get more scholarship money or full scholarship money. He'd started all the games the year before and like played really well. And at like the last moment they tried to fuck him with it. And he had been there in the system for three, four years at that point and was truly fed up with everything. And so I don't know exactly how it went down, but I think he ended up getting his money, 
but there was a time where it, and like all most of, a lot of the players knew that and so it was like dude how are you fucking Gertz like that's one of the dudes that should be getting rewarded for things but that was just kind of the way there was just a lot of snakiness that went on um you know it's been funny a couple guys have reached out since this shit all happened and guys I, I can't name but basically like they would try and get guys out of there and I'm sure this happens in other places too but the one example that I can remember was after the season had ended in 2011 they you know the senior if you're a senior you play you then get your next semester paid for so you can graduate right and so what they tried to do a lot of the times is test seniors for weed and drugs like in those in that in that um semester after that they had got done playing in hopes that they would fail it so that way they could then take their scholarship and give it to somebody else and so that happened to my boy connor mckendry we were literally i don't know when this was exactly i think before christmas so the season had ended before christmas break i think we were literally smoking a joint on sunday and he got called in to get tested on Tuesday. And somehow he passed. And for all the people out there that think, that are incredibly naive and think like, no one smokes weed or parties in Division One or any football for that matter, that is not the case um, at all. And there's also ways to get around the test from, from what I've heard. I've never had to actually do it. But um, there's there's a, a method that is, from what I hear, 100% effective. Um, so just just so you know. And then also, like, for those naive people out there, there's guys that uh, I know of a guy at University of Washington. He got kicked off the team for failing drug tests. The first three drug tests that he failed had no, absolutely no uh, penalty to it. It was the last three that so depending on who you are the school can kind of look the other way or they can really get you and so at our school at UND they would really try and get you or um, like school testing wasn't randomized they might have claimed it was randomized but the one guy who reached out and messaged me was like bro I got tested five tests in a row and I never got tested by the school I was the guy they needed, so they weren't going to test me. Gosca probably never got tested either. But if they were trying to get you out, they were testing you. And he was like, dude, it was just, it's like, it's crazy. He's like, I was like a good student. I was in certain activities. Like, I wasn't the bad guy at all. They just wanted to get rid of me. Like, this dude bought in. Like, no offense to who it is. Like, I thought you were one of the, one of the, guys you know because there was such a big like I noticed there that if you weren't from Minnesota or Wisconsin mainly that's where a majority of the team was from or North Dakota but if you weren't from those three places the surrounding little area then you got looked at differently and so the guys that were from Cali Texas Florida which all, for the most part, I guess not all, but majority of those outside guys too were also black guys. 
there was, but I was in that group too, although I thought I was black when I was 21 years old, so that makes sense. Um, if you weren't from what I kind of mentioned earlier, the good old boys, and that even included then if you were a black guy um, that was from one of those Wisconsin, Minnesota states, there's like, I don't know if there's any black people in North Dakota still. So, <laughs> and I, re- I didn't plan on making this like a race. I don't mean to make this like a race issue at all because fuck critical race theory, all that kind of stuff. But this is just how it felt when I was there. That if you were either a black guy or a guy from outside of those three states, you kind of got judged and looked at differently and treated differently, in my opinion. Um, like there was, there, there was like this definite, whether it be race or geography, locational prejudice that happened when we were there. And like the, the one story that sticks out in my mind and also part of it could be because on average, the guys from outside of those areas tended to like question things more. And be and not question it in like a um, negative way, but just was curious about why we did things. Like for example, as I mentioned, I trained with Tim Manson all growing up, who's like one of the best trainers in the U.S. Look him up if you don't know who he is. Um, and you could always ask Tim, "Hey, Tim, why are we doing this thing? Like, it's kind of a weird exercise. What's the point of it?" And he never took that as like a threat to his intelligence or his workout, he took it as an opportunity to enlighten you and teach you. And I understand in a a college weight room setting, you can't do that a ton of times, but, or from a coaching standpoint, you can't explain everything. But if you had any questions ever, you were then, it was back to the insecurity thing. It was viewed as a threat to the personality and the personal thing from the coaching, whether it be football or uh, weight room stuff. And so the one story that I have that like race wise that I can speak on, I'm sure the black guys could tell better stories, but I couldn't do that. But we were in the weight room one day and we would normally play like hard rock kind of music or metal type of stuff, system of a down, that type of shit, which if you know, like system of a down is swearing. And most rock song, like hard rock songs, say the F word and swear. And so, but we had this rule that if it, it it had to be clean because if like a administrator came in or something, this is like the start of the politically correct bullshit society that we live in, that if someone came in, they couldn't hear it or something. And so basically though, it was set up so that if it was a rap song that swore, it would immediately get changed next song and then if like the next one was a rap song and it swore back to the rock cd and so there was one time where i think it was some rock song that was fucking vulgar and i don't remember what one it was but it's swearing and tyree was like damn he's like that song can swear it doesn't get skipped at all huh and i just talking to tyree i go well yeah bro because it's a white dude swearing and one of the assistant strength coaches walked by and was like, what'd you say? And 
I looked at him. I said, well, it's allowed like that song's allowed to swear because it's a white guy swearing. I go, if it's a rap song, it gets turned off when they swear. And he's like, do you do you think you need to be like uh, like saying that to everybody? And I was like, I'm not saying that to everybody. I was talking to Tyree like I had my back turned to you like you just overheard me walking by. And he was like, well, yeah, I just don't think that's a very good message to say. And I was like, well, it's fucking true. And so, as you may see, I had no problem and still have no problem to speaking my mind. Obviously, I have a fucking podcast. But that started when I was young. And again, going back, a lot of college systems don't like that. But North Dakota really didn't like that because it was very much like they wanted you to jump off a bridge if they told you to do it and not question anything why. So, all right, let me take a breath here. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I got some stuff written down that's pretty funny. Um, so, as I, I mentioned... Um, the overall, the staff wasn't very great for many of the reasons that I've said. Uh, but there were like three new coaches on the staff of Danny Freund, who was a former quarterback there, like one of the best quarterbacks that ever played there. Luke uh, Schlesinger or something. He had played there also, played receiver there. And then Benny Boyd. And so they were all hired technically as Division One coaches. Freund now is the OC there. And someone asked me on the forums, like, what I think about Danny and all that stuff. I unfortunately didn't get to spend much time with Danny talking about football when I was there. He was the running backs coach. He really should have been the quarterbacks coach. But the way I, I understand how coaching works, like, you never just become the quarterback coach at a Division One like that. But I would have loved to at least hear what he thought on things. But back to the insecurity thing, it was like the OC Breitbach didn't ever even want that exchange to happen because it would ultimately show like, well, someone could do my job better than me. And again, maybe I'm I'm inferring things, but I, I don't know. I've been around a few programs. I've been in the coaches' rooms before as a Division II running backs coach like for a staff that I used to play for. So like I have a little bit of knowledge regarding this kind of thing. I'm not saying I'm perfectly right either. So to answer the one guy's question, like I think Danny will end up being a really great OC because he was probably the only guy on that staff while I was there that gave me a chance at all as a human being and like wanted to learn anything about me from a human standpoint. Because that was kind of also the theme of being there was like you were a piece of meat to them. And guys have said that in other podcasts about other universities and all those kind of things. But they didn't give a fuck about you as a person. And I understand like their job relies on it. But that's just not a good formula. But Danny was one of the few dudes who actually few co- the only coach really that like was willing to know me. And so I was really, really grateful for Danny in my time there. So with that said, I think he'll do great as an OC there because I know guys will want to play for him because of that. He's intelli- his football IQ is definitely high. So you combine those two things, normally it works out pretty well. And he's also been a player at a high level. 
You know, that was the most frustrating thing for me. I'm not saying you have to have played in order to coach. It definitely helps. But Breitbach had, like, never really played quarterback, and especially at a high level. And so, like, he'd be telling you shit in meetings that, like, wasn't true and was impossible. Like, when you looked at it from the film, like, yeah, maybe you could maybe you could do that. But, like, when you're in the moment, you couldn't do that. Like, for example, he would tell you we'd run smash concept, hitch and corner, for those that don't know, and versus obvious cover three, where in the smash concept, you're reading the cornerback. If he bails, you throw the hitch. If he jumps the hitch, you throw the corner right? In obvious cover three looks, you kind of got to bang the hitch quick. In, so that way that the slot defender can't get out to the curl flat area. So you don't take as much time when you know it's obvious cover three. And so I would bang the hitch on that obvious cover three. He would be in the, the meeting room and he'd say, Hey, you know, I, you got there quick. This, mind you, he's talking about a complete pass for six to seven yards minimum. You got there kind of fast, but if you watch this, if you'd have just held it for a half a second longer, that quarter corner would have bite bit, and you could have thrown the corner in behind his head. Mind you, the corner is biting because he's reacting to me throwing the ball, and so you just had to be like, uh, okay, you know. I think in the beginning I explained what I just said to you, but it just you real you learned really quick that you weren't supposed to say what you thought that you were just supposed to say, okay, yes, coach. Um, and then the other, like, funny, like, from a, a passing game standpoint, I'll, I'll preface all this by saying I didn't play very well when I was there that first year. It, it was, I didn't play great. I'll admit that. I, I think also I had a few things against me, but I'll just say I was not, my best playing ability that I've ever playing season I've ever had. But then to go on this next point is like our passing playbook was, a, was essentially like high school or even less than what I had in high school. Definitely what I less than what I had in Juco in terms of reads and stuff like that. And then again, I'm getting ex, it explained to and coached by the guy that I'm just the story I just told. Um, and so like the, my funniest favorite story to tell that still lives on to this day, because if you don't know, I've been quarterback OC for a majority of my time in Europe. So I run my own offense and coach and install everything, do that myself. And so my funniest bright box story was he kind of said like, Hey, uh, you know, what, what have you ran in the past that you like and yada, yada, yada. Cause I led the nation in, in yards per games and touchdowns and interceptions while I was in Juco. We slang that thing. Um, and so I brought in to him one day, a piece of paper with like two concepts on it, basically like f- maybe three, two, four verts, the six yard option route and Y over. Um, from the air raid thing. Like we ran air raid in Juco or spread technically. There's like seven concepts that you run and you just run them really well out of multiple looks. So I bring them in this, uh, this piece of paper, everything drawn up super specific with the reads, exactly how, how you do it. I hand it to him and I sit there. I'm like thinking we're going to have a conversation or something about it. He just took it, kind of hmm, looked it over. 
and handed it back to me. And I was like, okay. Like, I wrote this piece of paper for you to keep. You know, I didn't say any of this, but in my mind, I'm like, am I being punked right now? Like, he asked me to do this and then isn't taking the paper. And so I explained to him throughout recruiting, throughout beginning meetings, all these things that like, hey, my favorite play, and it's still one of my favorite plays to this day, is a six-yard option route from the slot. If you're running it in trips, the the number three receiver runs a six-yard option route. It's basically run to six yards. If you're open, sit. If someone's playing you like man, you burst out on the out route. Then number two runs an outside release, 12-yard dig. And then number one runs an outside release vert. And then backside, you can do a bunch of different things. You can do a five, six-yard kind of read route in, like read route what I knew it was like a hitch kind of in. You can do a slant to a whip on the backside. Either of any of those works. And so I explained it to him that this play I've I is a big reason why I'm in this room because I really understand it. I know how to read it. I throw it well. Okay. Okay, well, cool, cool. All right, whatever. We he he doesn't put it in that spring or anything. We come back from uh summer and we're in meeting first meeting of summer camp. He's like, oh, man, you guys, I went to this coaching camp down in Alabama, University of Alabama. I got some stuff for us down there that, that they, they really like. And so he gets up on the board, and he literally drew up the play that I had explained. Like, every coaching point the same, everything the same. Option route by number three, 12-yard dig by number two, outside release vert by number one and I'm like sitting there like is this fucking reality right now like what is going on like again am I being pranked and so I almost like kind of started chuckling to it and Gosco is looking at me like Gosco was the other quarterback he's like what do you what's up and I was like, I'll, I'll tell you so we get out of meetings and he's like dude what was so funny and I was like bro I told him about that play three months ago I drew it up I gave him a piece of paper with it on it but he thought it was shitty but then he goes to Alabama and now it's the best play in the world and ironically we called it Bama and so again as I said I've been QBOC for a lot of my time in um, Europe I run that play and I call it Bama because it's an inside joke with myself and it makes me chuckle every time I install it because it reminds me of that story. <laughs> uh, man, we're at an hour 20 right now. This is going to be a long one, you guys. This is going to be a long one. Um, I guess, you know, my last little point, this is talking a little bit of shit, but once all those coaches, that core group, got fired and went elsewhere, obviously things happen. But if you look up where they ended up going after and the success they had afterwards, none of them have been super successful. So that's kind of how I'll leave that regarding the coaching staff there. 
I feel bad saying that and kind of talking shit about Breitbach because I did feel like he was one of the nicest humans I've ever been around. Not a great QB coach, not a great OC. He seemed like a really good husband and a father, which now as I get older, like I respect and admire. Um, And so part of me feels really shitty saying some of that stuff, but it was the truth and it was my experience of how I remember it now. But I I also then want to say, like, I don't think he was a bad guy at all. Like, at all. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I again, same thing. I mentioned in, in that last little clip where I talked about North Dakota that it was tough because I was throwing mainly to... I had Greg Harden as one of the receivers in two, two receivers uh, sets, but then the other receiver was normally always... Chris Anderson or Drew Daggett and again I feel bad talking shit about them because they were some of the nicest dudes on the team also and like really program first kind of guys they had been fifth year seniors that again came in as division two guys that again weren't recruited as d1 guys and there's a slight difference I'll say um and so like I said is like that was tough Drew dropped what would have been my first D1 touchdown, the first game against Drake. It was pretty much wide open. It was actually on Bama, ironically. Wide open in the end zone, hit him in the chest, dropped it. Um, Chris like just was limited in what he could do if he got pressed like it was over. Uh, and like then just knowing we had Greg was playing a lot, but then RJ would only come in on 11 personnel stuff. And then Tyree never came in. And Tyree, like, at the line, man-to-man stuff, was the guy you wanted out there, him and Greg. So it was just, it was frustrating because then as soon as I got benched, we, I I don't, I can't remember specifics exactly, but Tyree ended up playing in the last couple games. RJ started playing, like, they started moving towards the future from the receiving side of things. And it was just that, that part was a little bit frustrating for me. Um, I, I was kind of going to talk about the weight room stuff. Uh, I had a couple stories, I guess for it. Um, I kind of touched on it earlier about how if you can, there was some prejudice against you based on where you were from and what you looked like. And that was also, I felt very big in the weight room. And it was just an old school approach. I think Bockle, the strength and conditioning guy there, has changed some of his things since then. But we were like in the 90s at the time. And we always joked around that we were the, uh, we were the weightlifting team that also played football. You know, everything there was about PRs and lifting as much as possible. You know, stretching and mobility was kind of almost scoffed at and laughed at where I would do this band stretching mobility routine before and after workouts that I had learned from Tim Manson. I still do it to this day. It's part of my routine. Part of the reason I think I'm playing very well at 31 years old. And I would be doing that at the end of workouts and Bockle and the other guy would walk by and literally like laugh at me to my face about me doing that. And, um, just 
the uh, the one example of like insanity from that side of things that I think led to injuries. We always had, I, I know ACLs and stuff can be just freak accidents, but it seemed like from what I heard from the guys who'd been there a long time, it was like every year there were like three or four ACL injuries, always like a shoulder or two. And on, I've been on quite a few teams. Normally there's always an ACL every year, um, but normally not that many. And But one thing that we did that I just couldn't for the life of me understand was we would be in an auxiliary gym with kind of like that like soft, like or not soft, but like hard clay floor. And we'd run 20, 25-yard sprints, and they'd say on the whistle, stop in a lunge position, which tr- go try and do that right now. Fucking go full speed as fast as you can, and then when someone else says just reaction, just try and stop and be in a lunge position. Like, on a hard surface. Like, not good for your knees. And I've, I've, I remember calling Tim after we did that. And I was like, bro, what? Have you ever heard of this? And he was like, dude, that is fucking insane. Like, be smart. And so maybe a reason, you know, they didn't like, like, I wouldn't run as hard as I could to do that. And I'd take a step or two in order to throttle down so I didn't shatter my knee and rip my knee apart doing that because some guys who were just doing what they were told, which was what was wanted would go full stop, just right on a lunge position. And it was like, Oh man. Oh man. That's scary. Um, Hmm. The other funny one, other funny buckle story that me and Jake Miller always joked about was both, when I was playing at North Dakota, the backfield was probably the lightest and whitest backfield ever in Division One sports. Because it was me, I was probably six foot one eighty at my best, one eighty five maybe. And then Jake Miller, who was like five eleven, five ten, one seventy. And I mean that Jake Miller dude was a fucking baller and tough as nails amount of hits he took at that size and division one football is absolutely insane. And so anyway, they're always like telling us we should gain weight, gain weight. We both knew it. It just it wasn't our body type to do so. And so Jake was a part, he was from North Dakota. They liked him. He was a good, he was part of the good old boys crew. Um, and <laughs> Jake like went to Bockle and was like, Hey, you know, so like how he, I, can you get me like a meal plan or, you know, something to help me in order to help gain the weight? <laughs> Poggle just looked at him and was like, just eat more. And gay, and I mean, looking back at it now, like he is right, but it was just so funny because at the moment that became me and Jack, uh, Jake's inside joke was like, Hey Jake, do you eat more today? And he's like, no, he's like, I never, I never thought about it like that. To gain weight, all I have to do is eat more. No fucking way. Uh, so getting back to playing, we'll do this now. Is like, again, it was it was tough. From I've explained the coaching, I've explained a lot of off field stuff. A couple of the things that happened like while playing was this was the most 
like baffling thing to me that I first kind of noted, like first realized like, oh, they're trying to get me out of being the starter. I could like feel that a few weeks before it happened. And maybe it was self-imposed, but knowing what I've learned afterwards, I don't think it was uh, made up in my mind. And so one of the first things was, I think before one of the Division Two games we had, we get out there for Friday walkthrough and go to the ball bag, and it's all brand new footballs. And if for anyone who's never played football doesn't know, like throwing a brand new football, like brand fucking new, is not what you want. There's like this this film on it, kind of tack on them that makes them kind of slippery, like sticky yet slippery. And they're completely different than when a leather ball has been really worn in. And so we go to the ball bag and I'm like, I go to the equipment guy. I'm like, yo, Dally, where's the like game balls? He's like, no, that's them. And like normally you would work in new balls throughout the year in order to get them good in, in weeks away. I go, no, no, no. These are all new. Like I'm not using these this week. He's like, no, yeah, so-and-so said. I don't know who, if it was Breitbach, Musman, one of them, no, they said. I go, okay. And so I go, like, to Breitbach, and I'm like, hey, man, like, can we get a, a not a shitty ball? You know, not a brand-new ball? Can we get an older one? Oh, no, we can't because, uh, uh. I was just like, what? And so I'm, like, kind of pissed, invisibly pissed. And Danny comes up to me, he sees it, and he's like, dude. And he kind of saw me talking to guys and or talking to Breitbach and looking how I looked. He's like, what's up, man? I was like, bro, they're making me use brand new footballs this week. Like, they're not letting me choose the balls, which might sound diva to someone who doesn't know, but everywhere, all the time, normally the quarterback the day before or before the game picks the few game balls that they want. Like, it's never up to the coaches who what balls you use in every everywhere I've ever played. And Danny, being a former quarterback, was like, dude, what the fuck? No way. Like, hold on a sec. I'll go. Let me go talk to him. Because Danny couldn't believe it. He comes back to me, and he's just like, dude, like, sorry. Like, I I don't know what to tell you. He's like, that, that one confuses me big time. That's not how it should be. And I said, ah, oh, whatever. And I don't even remember. I'd have to look up my stats. I probably didn't have a great game. I think we ran a flea flicker to start that game, and I underthrew the fuck out of it. And maybe I underthrew it. I think also it might not have been a great grip on the ball, whatever it may be. It sounds like I'm making excuses, but that's one thing that I remember. Um, so then after I get benched, uh, you know, I, I knew that hope had been lost in me and I, I tried to be the best teammate I could as I was the backup for the remainder of the season. It was fun to see Gosca go out the way that he did. He won four games in a row at the end of the year. We ended up winning the conference championship um, this year, which like if you – I can't believe in a way. Like we had a really good team from an individual player perspective, but with these stories that are being told, like it's insane that this collective won a championship. And um, – so anyway, the postseason meetings happen and they tell me, you know, hey, we're going to bring in another guy, whether it be Juco or whatever, because we need more depth. They weren't, they did not want Marcus to play at all because Marcus, probably the strongest arm I've ever seen in my life, 
but also couldn't read a defense to save his life and just went out there and just won it. Um, which he could fucking wing it, boy. That arm, he could hit the top of the Alaris dome throwing the football straight up, which is something I've never seen anybody else do. Um, so they said, you know, we'll, we'll keep you updated, but, you know, we're, we're probably going to get a guy, but we'll let you know. I said, okay, yeah, no worries. I get it. I'm ready to compete. So I get back in January. I'm like about to start class. I see my roommate. He's like, oh, you heard about the guy from North Dakota we got? And I was like, no, or not North Dakota, North Carolina. And I said, no, what position? Quarterback. I was like, oh. And so we'd gotten a fifth-year senior transfer who'd been a backup his whole career at North Carolina behind NFL guys to come there for his last year, which I'm sure they told him, like, the job is yours, basically. So I felt, like, a little slighted, even though probably shouldn't have that, like, they didn't say, I found out from my fucking roommate the day of, you know, class starting when they told me, oh, we'll tell you. Um. And so I, I competed my ass off. Like I really took the challenge and I had like the ultimate underdog mentality of like they don't want me to be like the own coaching staff doesn't want me to be in it. Like I'm going to make it so they have to put me there. And so I, you know, and me and Braden were homies. Like we lifted together. He was a good dude. It, and I pl- probably played my best football that spring, that spring ball. You go look at the spring highlight tape. From 2012, I think I finished with like 250 yards and two touchdowns. And before that spring game, it was really emphasized that the spring game is going to determine the depth chart for the summer and, uh, you know, that old spiel. Although sometimes coaches don't give that spiel. They just say, hey, spring game is a spring game. Don't put too much pressure on it. That was not the case with us as we put a lot of pressure on it. We kind of knew every other position for the most part, what it was going to be except for quarterback. And so it was like me and Braden took that, like, okay, this is the thing we got to do. I finished, like I said, with like 250, two touchdowns. He finished with like 80 yards and a touchdown and like 50 yards. And the touchdown came on a little like slip screen and go, which we hadn't ran all sprint. It always gets the defense the first time. And so Um, after the game, ironically, there was no talk about the importance of the spring game. It got played off completely. Like it didn't mean anything and that we just need to continue to work better at blah, 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 blah. And like, so I knew right then and there, like Musman did not want me to be the guy. I, I already knew this, but I like had now confirmation. And so then I went back and watched the spring game. And for whatever reason, Musman was in the booth announcing it with the other uh, North Dakota announcers. And so you can, I, I, I tried to go back to find clips of it. I couldn't. So maybe someone out there that has clips like, or has it somewhere on a hard drive or a CD somewhere, please go look at it. And you can hear him like groaning under his breath as I make completions. Also then, I had Greg and RJ on my team, and we fucking killed it. Me and Greg had the two touchdowns. Me and RJ had like seven or eight completions together. So it just went to show like what I could do with those two dudes on my team. And you could just hear like, ah, after balls would be completed by me. And so 
I, I saw the writing on the wall. So I went into the spring meeting, the post spring meeting with Breitbach. And I said, Hey, I want to transfer. You know, he like started to give the spiel. I said, coach, I got to stop you before we even get into it. Like I want to transfer. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. And he was flabbergasted, you know, which yeah, full scholarship athlete competing for a starting job at a division one school. A lot of people were probably flabbergasted by that idea. And I said, listen, man, like I know the dude upstairs doesn't want me to be the guy. Like I know I can see it. I can feel it. Like if it's up to him, I'm not going to be the guy. So let's not bullshit. And he did not deny that at all. And so he kind of like, you need to think about it. And he was like, well, you're going to have to talk to Musman and tell him that. Like in a way of like, that I was scared to do that. Because I think a lot of people were fearful of this dude. Like he, he ruled in a way of fear. You know, the fact that I just used the word rule rather than coach is a, a telling sign. I go, I got no problem with it. Just tell me when the meeting is. So I went up, told Musman that. And I was very blunt and said, I know you don't want to be, me to be the guy. Like, I know all these things. Um, I don't want to, like, waste my career here, basically. Because, like, I, even though a scholarship athlete at a Division One school would be, uh, like, full scholarship, I mean, would be a dream and a privilege to a lot of people. I get that. And I don't want to overlook it or undervalue it. But I didn't give a fuck about school. Like, I, I wanted to play football. And that's why I, you know, I say now, like, if it weren't for football, I would never have gone to university. I'd go to a tech school or something because in my mind, paying 20 to 40 grand a year and get $100,000 in debt in four years to start your life is the biggest fucking scam in America. Um, if you don't have a clue with what you want to do after it, which I did not. Um, and so he said, well, you know, Musman, well, let's. He's like, well, this, this really, like, you got to rethink this. Like, this leaves us at a really bad position because he had just cut Chris Combs, who was on scholarship. And so that would leave them with only Braden and then Marcus on roster at quarterback. And he really didn't want Marcus. To, he wanted Marcus to play less than he wanted me to play. Um, and I, he said, well, will, will you think about it for a night? And I said, okay, yeah, sure. So that night... He ends up getting like multiple dudes on the team to call and text me and like guilt me into staying and let tell me how I'll let everybody down if I leave and yada, 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 which all were like guys that didn't give a fuck about me. Like all, all those guys who called me, I haven't talked to one time since that. Um, and then what, that's okay. I get that play. What pissed me off though was then he called my dad and fed my dad all the lies about how I'm competing for the job and I'm it looks like I'm the guy right now and they really believe in me and yada, yada, yada. And my dad being the uh, maybe over-self-valuing guy he was at the time thought, well, there's no way that he would call me and lie to me. You know, like... That's why I say over self-valuing. Like, he, how dare he? He would never lie to me. And I told my dad, I said, yeah, he would. He's a fucking liar. Like, I'm telling you, he's lying to you. 
Um, and my dad hit me with the thing that said, he said, well, you can leave. That's cool. But in my mind, the only way you should leave is if you don't think you can beat the guy out, which translates basically to the only way you should leave is if you're a bitch. And I knew I could have beat the dude out fair and square. Braden was good, but like I said, I was playing my best football. I could for sure have beat him out if it was a fair race. It wasn't a fair race. So listening to my dad, I stayed because I didn't want to be a bitch in his mind. Even though at my co- I knew what was going on. <clears throat> Flash forward. And then I, I have to be completely uh, open and honest with this whole story is the the week that I, and this is a funny story, I wasn't a perfect person either. The week that I got benched against Cal Poly, me and Chris Combs, sorry Chris, had gotten caught cheating in accounting class. And the teacher said like, well, I won't tell the coaches, but you got to take a zero on the test. It was like a major test. He's like, so if you take a zero, you're not going to be able to pass the class. And so me and Chris ended up, we didn't, he was like, so you're probably going to have to tell the coach no matter what. So we didn't tell the coaches though. We just both said we failed the class and we need to drop it, pick something else up. So we did that. We go through the season. Chris messages me after the postseason meeting and was like, hey, have you met with Breitbach yet? And I said, no. And he goes, well, um, he knows that we cheated. So don't lie and say we didn't like I just did. (laughs) I said, shit. We laughed about it. I was like, thanks for telling me, bro. And so I went in there and I explained to him, you know, I made it seem like that was like a chance to be kind of like honest, Um, which it sounds so bad and stuff. But like as a division one athlete, like, you know, as a 20-year-old guy, 21-year-old guy or person in general, like, you're kind of always, like, there's so much, like, uh, shit that you shouldn't do and you always feel like everyone's kind of against you, that you have to kind of lie always. about. You almost feel like you have to lie about everything if you're leading, if you're not living just the perfect life. Um, and then also then that, so I drove back to North Dakota that summer and I ended up getting arrested in Montana for possession of weed and our team had just maybe the winter before one of the houses had gotten raided and nothing got found in the raid one of the guys who didn't even play on the team ended up getting in trouble over I don't even know what he had but no one on the team ended up getting in trouble but that like made the news so anyway we were under like major watch by the the school and all this stuff for drugs and everything and so we constantly had talks of like if you get in trouble you got to tell me first and blah 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 and so I got arrested in fucking bumfuck nowhere Montana I get out I told my dad my dad's like oh you, you can't tell them like don't tell them like they won't find out about the small town Montana shit and I was like no I gotta tell them and ironically I had also gotten arrested when I was 16 for possession of weed. And in that time, I didn't want to tell the school. And my dad was like gung-ho on telling the school to be the right, to do the right thing. I know maybe it's coming off like I like am mad at my dad or something. I love my dad very much nowadays, but I will admit 
uh, for six months to a year after I transferred from North Dakota, I fucking hated him because it was, in my opinion, if I would have just listened to myself, I wouldn't have been in that predicament. I've told him this personally. This is not going to come to a shock to him. Um, and I told him, no, dude, I'm telling Musman because honestly, I wanted Musman to kick me off the team. I did not want to be there. I wanted an excuse to have to leave. And in my mind, like in my own fucked up mind, it was like better than to be like this troubled guy and get kicked off for that reason than to just leave in a way and be like a quitter kind of thing. And so I called Musman up and told him, hey, man, I just got arrested. I just got out. And he's like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? And surprisingly, he wasn't that mad. And he's like, yeah, well, he's like, you'll be here, what, next tomorrow or whatever? I said, yeah. He said, okay, well, we'll talk. We'll figure it out. I said, okay. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get suspended or whatever. We never end up talking about it all summer. I go through that whole summer, do workouts. I'm competing for the job again. And then lo and behold, oh, also side note, is the next day after being in jail for one full day, the next day while I was still driving to North Dakota, I hit a deer at night going 80. Thing just jumped out of the middle of the road, totaled my Lexus, and had an absolute mental breakdown on the side of the road there. That was one of the, probably the worst 24, 48 hours of my life. Um, and guess who came and picked me up the next day? Good old Mitch Gertz. Um, so that circle comes full story, or that full story comes full circle. So anyway, we get back, summer goes along, everything's looking, it's still, you know, in summer workouts, you can't have football stuff, so we're just throwing on our own. There's no, like, you can't see if the what the coaches are thinking, really, because coaches can't have any contact with football-related things. And so then the fall prospectus comes out with the depth chart and coaches' comments regarding the upcoming season, and they have Braden at one, me at two. And the comments are like, you know, Braid, it was a tough battle and it'll still, it's still, I don't even remember. But basically, like, it was Braden's job. There was no, like, they're still competing kind of things. Like, and basically, a complete lie to what he told my dad. <laughs> my dad calls me, and I hadn't even seen this thing at the time. Um, my dad calls me and he's like, you gotta fucking leave. Did you see the fall prospectus? And I was like, no. And he was like, Musman lied. And I was like, yeah, no shit, dude. Like, you fucking idiot. And um, so I, I, again, did not want to be there. So that was music to my ears because now I had my dad's approval for leaving. The only reason I was there because I didn't have my dad's approval the first time. So I messaged Musman and I said, hey, we need to talk tomorrow. What time are you available? And he called me right away, and he's like, Whoa, wh wh what's up? And I said, no, nothing. We just got to talk tomorrow. When are you available? Uh, this time. I, right, I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good night. Go into his office, say, hey, I'm leaving. He's like, what? I said, bro, you lied to my dad. You know, like, I held nothing back. I said, you fucking lied to me. You lied to my dad. Like, I don't care. Lie to me. I knew it was a lie. You fucking lied to my dad, you know? And... I said, I, I don't, and he tried to, oh, like he knew it was, it was over for me and okay. And so that was, that was the, the story there 
of how it all went down. And then I found out from a source on the staff, after I had transferred, there was a coaches meeting. And Musman said something, like, even though in the, my meeting with me, he's like, dude, this really fucks us and da-da-da-da-da. He said in the coaches meeting, well, it's all right. I was going to suspend Bradley for the first two games of the season anyway because he got arrested in Montana. And I said, huh. once I heard that from a very credible source, I said, well, I know I made the right decision then. Um, whether he was lying or not, who knows? You never know. So, yeah. Basically then, I to finish this long story, I ended up taking the next semester off. I was going to transfer to Illinois State where I was going to I was going to redshirt for the transfer year and then probably get to start and really compete for the starting spot for 2 years cuz they at the time were going to be playing a fifth year senior they had no one below them I had a connection from Washington on the coaching staff uh long story short I was had moved into my apartment there my transcripts weren't able to get there in time from JUCO this is back in the day where you had to like have someone go to the actual thing and my JUCO coaches were not very helpful at this time. My tra my transcripts couldn't get there. Somehow, in Illinois State had found out about the arrest in Montana, and so the combination it was really more the transcripts. If like I would have just gotten in right away with transcripts, I think I would have been fine. But the double thing screwed me. I drove back to Washington from Illinois, and then. Uh, Took the semester off, worked graveyard shift at Gold's Gym. Uh, then just started emailing Division II schools. Pretty much no one emailed me back. The only two that did with real any real interest, three that did, was New Haven. Um, what's the uh, HBCU or, or historically black uh, school in North Carolina? I forget what they're called but it was like a black college and Humboldt state and the Humboldt state coach had literally said like, well, I've heard about your past and Humboldt state's like where the best weed in the world is. He's like, I've heard about your past. I don't think this is a good place for you. Okay. Fair enough. New Haven was really the only ones who were super interested. They flew me out, did a visit, um, negotiated a good scholarship that was like half academic, half, uh, athletic because I knew I was going to transfer that last year or that last semester in North Dakota. So I tried really fucking hard in school and finished with like a three, seven. I was, I was good at class. I understood the system. It's all fucking bullshit. Just go to class, be friends with the teacher, do decent on tests. Um, and so I, I went to new Haven. I ended up not even playing at all my first year there. I kind of got lied to again by a coach. That coach moved on to a different job after that season, and I had to do it all over again. The new coach that came in did not want to start me as a fifth-year senior when he had two redshirt freshmen that had some good potential. I made it so he couldn't, he couldn't say no, and luckily the other two kids could not read a defense to save their life. So while uh, you know, part of me wishes that Grand Forks would have worked out and everything would have gone 
nice and happy and all those things. Like, um, also because Grand Forks would have been like a really cool place to be an alumni. It was a great college town. The whole party scene there was super fun. Like to be a successful team there would be a lot of fun. I'm sure. I had a really good group of friends there between Bickle, Gertz, Isaac. I had a girlfriend there that loved me like a lot. It could have been great. But also, I know if I would have just stayed there and gotten through it, as I mentioned before, I probably would have quit playing football after college because I would have hated it. And the feelings I would have had towards life because of football would be extremely negative. So I'm super glad that it all went the way that it did because it put me on this path of even having to take a semester off and there's been a lot of like mental struggles for myself from, I wouldn't say depression, but that's probably the best word that you can use to whatever. I'm super grateful for it all now because it's made me the person I am today. Uh, let me say this first, that I understand everything that I just said and explain could be viewed as an excuse for why I didn't play well. And I'll be the first to admit I didn't play my best football there, but that's just the experience that I had and how I remember it as of today. And so with that said, that is the story of J. Brad Swag. <laughs> Holy shit. This is the longest fucking solo episode I have ever done. So to all those Sioux Sports motherfuckers out there, appreciate y'all. Hope you enjoyed that little tell-all. If you have any questions, I hope you then continue to listen and follow because I know some of you that really disliked me, I know there's an emotion towards me. So maybe now that you've heard me talk and maybe think I'm an okay dude, we can we can turn that hate into love, baby. <laughs> or not. And that's okay too. Um, but I appreciate your time. Let me know if there's any questions. Check out the website. Follow along. Send me a message. I'm always down to connect. I always know people can change. Things change. Only constant is change. Very philosophical of myself. Alrighty. Appreciate y'all. Till next time. Peace and much love. Holla. <laughs>